If you would, if you're there in Acts chapter 4, verse 23, if you, and you're able to, if you'd stand with me, we'll read God's word together. This is the fun of doing outdoor church, right? It's a little more exciting this way. I like it. Remember, the, the disciples have been told not to preach anymore or teach anymore in the name of Jesus. And we come to verse 23. They've been warned by the Sanhedrin. Verse 23 says, when they were released, they went to their friends and reported what the chief priests and the elders had said to them. And when they heard it, they lifted their voices together to God and said, Sovereign Lord, who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them, who through the mouth of our father David, your servant, said by the Holy Spirit, Why did the Gentiles rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his anointed. For truly in this city there were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your plan predestined to, to take place. And now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness while you stretch out your hand to heal and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. You may be seated. And Heavenly Father, that's, that's our prayer this morning as well. We pray that we would speak your word with boldness. We pray this morning that your, your spirit would work within us here in this place and that we would be diligent to pursue all that you have called us to do. We pray this in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen. When you, when you lose someone, there are all sorts of, of gaps that are created by their absence. And, and some of those gaps that are created by their absence, you, you recognize instantly. Uh, when my dad uh, passed away a year and a half ago, instantly we, I recognized that there was going to be a, a gap of, of relationship there. I was no longer able to, to call him on a daily basis or weekly basis or whatever I would, would want to do. And, and so that, that gap was felt immediately and, and continues to be felt. Just this last week, I was walking around the campus here, and I thought, oh, this would be a great time to have been able to call my dad. What a, what a great time of conversation this could have been. And, and that, that gap is present, and it's real, and I recognized it instantly. Some gaps take a, a little bit longer to realize that there's a gap that someone's absence has, has created. Uh, I was thinking about this a, a few weeks ago. I was thinking, well, I, just, I know what my dad thought about this, and I know what my dad thought about that. I, I wonder how he would take those things that he believed and apply them in, in this circumstance that we find ourselves in now. I wonder how he'd apply these things that he believed to, to the about the church to this situation, what he believed about politics to this situation, the government. I, I wonder how he would, I, I know what he believed about some things, but how would he take those beliefs and apply them to that circumstance? And I just, I thought, boy, that, I'd really like to know that. And then I thought, well, if he agreed with me, I'd really like to know what he, what he thought. If he disagreed, I don't really want to know, but no, I do. And, and then some gaps, you, you just, you wouldn't have guessed that there would be a gap. We were down in Texas last week or two, and 
uh, dropping Hannah off for college, and I visited with my family a little bit, and as we were there visiting with my family, we visited, and then we left, and no one took a family photo, and we all hated the family photos my dad made us take, but as I got back here to Illinois and realized we hadn't taken a photo with everybody, I, I felt that loss, that sense of, oh, I wish, wish we had done that. But as I thought about the gap that my dad's absence creates, I, I think the biggest gap, the biggest hole, is, is the gap that's created by the fact that my dad is, is no longer praying for me and my family and my ministry. My dad was incredible. As I mentioned before, my dad was an incredibly faithful man of prayer. As I, as I think I've also mentioned before, he was an engineer, and so he had a very detailed prayer chart. He's, he had certain ministries he would pray for on certain days, certain children, uh, in-laws, uh, grandchildren they would pray for on, on certain days. And I think I shared this too, but one time whenever we were cleaning out his office, my sister showed me this alarm clock that he had by the area where he, he prayed, and she said this was to let him know when to stop praying. Not in the sense of, okay, I've prayed long enough, I can stop, but to remind him, okay, you need to stop praying and get to work now. That's, uh, that's the type of prayer person my dad was. And the fact that he's no longer here praying creates a hole, creates a gap, because, as we're seeing this morning, prayer is important, and prayer is effective. Prayer affects what happens in the world. Prayer affects what happens in the church. Prayer affects what happens in our lives. We're in this, this first section of the book of Acts. We're talking about how the witness lays its foundation. We're talking about foundational truths about the church. And we're seeing that there are some things that the church has, that, that all churches have, that are essential to the nature and function of the church. The church, for example, we've seen has the Holy Spirit. The church has apostolic authority. The church we saw last week has divine allegiance. These are things that are true for all churches, and all churches can't be the church without these things. And the church we're seeing this morning has, has prayer. And without prayer, the church cannot, cannot accomplish what God desires for his church to accomplish. It's impossible without faithful and effective prayer. We need to pray for boldness for us to fulfill the mission that God has called us to fulfill. In fact, if you're, you're taking notes, here's kind of the main idea that I want us to think about this morning. The prayer that God would grant us boldness, the prayer that God would grant us boldness is good and powerful and effective because God is sovereign. I'll say that again. The prayer that God would grant us boldness, that, that prayer that God would grant us boldness, it's, it's a good and powerful and effective prayer. And the reason that it's effective and powerful and, and a good thing to pray is because God is sovereign. The prayer that God would grant us boldness is good and powerful and effective because God is sovereign. There's, there's four things that we're going to be talking about this morning from this passage about our prayers, kind of four C words. We're going to talk about the context of our prayers I'll say this a couple of times, so don't stress out if you don't get it out the first time. We're talking about the context of our prayers, where we pray, what situations we pray in. We're going to talk about the confidence of our prayers, the confidence of our prayers, why we can be confident that our prayers are going to be effective. 
Then we're going to talk about the, the content of our prayers, what we need to pray, the content of our prayers, what, what needs to uh, form the, 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 the content of the thing that we're praying, particularly in the relation to the issue of boldness. And then we'll talk about the consequence of our prayers, what, what happens as a result of, of our praying. So the context of our prayers, the confidence of our prayers, the content of our prayers, and the consequences of our prayers. So let's first of all talk about the context of our prayers and look at verse 23 with me if you would. So they've been warned by the Sanhedrin not to, to teach anymore in the name of Jesus, not to, to talk in his name, and they're released. And it says in verse 23, they, they go and they go to their friends, that, that literally means their own, those who are a part of their group, and they report what the chief priests and the elders had said to them. So they've encountered their first opposition to the gospel. And as they encounter that opposition, they've done exactly the right thing. Remember what they did last week? As they encounter that opposition, they, they tell the people who are their rulers, they say, look, you have to decide for yourself what's right to do here, how you're going to exercise your authority. As, as for us, we can't do anything but, but speak what God has told us to speak. In other words, we're going to continue to be obedient to God. That's what they've decided to do. Now, they've made a good decision, but as you've followed the story of the apostles and the Gospel of Luke and the Gospel of John, for example, you know that we've been here before in some ways. It's not the first time that the disciples have had good intentions about being bold in defending the name of Christ. We saw them do this before. Jesus talked about people betraying him. He said, no, Peter, for example, said, no, 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 I'll never betray you. I would, all could follow. I would not. And remember what Jesus told his disciples to do in the, in the Garden of Gethsemane? He said, said pray. <laughs> you, need, you need to pray that you're, the things that you've said you want to do and, and, the, and the, the, the way in which you want to be effective and continuing to be my disciples, you need to pray that that, that could, could be secure. And they don't. So, so now, the, the context again for this prayer and this situation that we're about to see them pray, the context is they're under pressure from authority to do something in disobedience to God. They've said, no, we, we want to continue to be obedient to the Lord, to walk in obedience, and they need to, to follow through on that witness that they've said they're going to follow through on. That's the context. There's a danger of weakness. Would you agree with me that we are sometimes weak in our witness? God has called us to be his witnesses. He's called us to proclaim the name of his son, Jesus Christ. And yet, sometimes we're weak in that. There's a Barna study that said that 95, 97% of professing Christians would agree that they need to be witnesses for Jesus. In fact, 94, 97% would agree that the best thing that could ever happen for someone is for them to know Jesus. And yet, despite that, that the same survey revealed this. They revealed that among millennials, that, that generation, nearly 47% and, and nearly a quarter of, of other people who would profess to be Christians of other generations in this survey agreed with the statement that it's wrong to share one's personal beliefs with someone of a different faith in hopes that they will one day share the same faith. They said that's, that's, that's wrong to do. According to a LifeWay research 
survey, 55% of Christians, 55% of those of us who profess to be witnesses for Christ, disciples, believers, 55% of those who identify as Christians had not shared their faith in the last six months. Only 5% of professing Christians in the survey, only 5% had shared their faith with six or more people in the last six months. In other words, only less than 5% had shared with one person on average a month the, the good news of the gospel. Bethany family, that cannot be true for us. If we're to be faithful in that essential task that God has called us to do, of being his witnesses, of proclaiming the message of, of faith alone in Jesus Christ alone for, for salvation, we cannot fail so, so tragically and so completely in fulfilling that essential task that God has called us to do. The context in which the disciples find themselves in is not conducive for witnessing. They might fail because of fear. They might fail because of persecution, lack of heart. We also might fail. Maybe this morning you think, okay, as I share the gospel with these people that I know aren't believers, I'm going to be rejected by them. They've heard the gospel before, and they're just going to hear it again and reject it. It's going to sound crazy to them. They, I don't believe that sharing my faith is going to work. The cost is too high. We need boldness. We as a church need boldness, and so what do we do? We pray. So that's the context of our prayers for boldness. Now let's talk about the confidence of our prayers for boldness. Why can we be confident that a prayer for boldness and sharing our faith will work? Well, look at verses 24 through 28 with me. And what I want you to see here is that there's an underlying confidence that the disciples have as they pray. And the reason they have the confidence that God will answer their prayer for boldness and answer it favorably is because of their confidence in the sovereignty of God. More space in this prayer is devoted to affirming and worshiping God for his sovereignty than in actually asking him for the thing they desire to ask him for. The the, the the prayer praising God for and acknowledging God's sovereignty takes up more space than the prayer for boldness. So notice what happens here. It says they're, they're unified, verse 24. They lift up their voices together to God. And, and they say, Sovereign Lord, that, that word means, uh, that, that word Sovereign Lord is, is a translation of the word despota. It's a word we get our English word despot from, but it doesn't have the negative connotations that a despot does in the English language, but it still has this idea of, of a person with absolute authority. And so they, they cry out to God and they say, God of the God of absolute authority, the sovereign God. And then they give kind of three areas in which God has absolute sovereignty. Three areas where his sphere of, of sovereignty is, is recognized in this prayer. The first is God's sovereignty over creation. Look at what they pray here. They say, Sovereign Lord who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them. Here their prayer focuses on the extensiveness of all that falls under God's authority. Everything is created by him. There's no corner to which you can look at in the universe and say this is not yours. And this, by the way, is a 
a, a pattern of prayer we see repeated in Scripture. This is not the first time that someone begins a prayer by acknowledging God's sovereignty over the created realm. Nehemiah, Nehemiah 9.6 says, You are the Lord, you're, you're, the, you're Yahweh, you alone. And then he begins by talking about God's creative work. You've made the heavens, the, the heaven of heavens, with all their hosts, the earth and all that is in it, the seas and all that is in them. And you preserve all of them and the host of heavens worships you jeremiah 32 jerusalem is under siege by the babylonian empire and jeremiah knows that the siege is going to be successful jerusalem is going to fall and yet god calls on jeremiah to buy land in this area a field showing that jeremiah believes that not only is jerusalem going to fall but god is going to fulfill his word and reestablish his people and Jeremiah, as he, as he prays, he says in verse 17 of Jeremiah 32, Ah, Lord God, it is you who have made the heavens and the earth by your great power and by your outstretched arm. Nothing is too hard for you. And then he continues to talk about the greatness of God's power. God is sovereign over creation. Friday night, uh, Whitney and I went on a, a date, and we did something we'd never done before. We went out stargazing. So we, we took some ice cream and some coffee and went out in, in the country and just kind of not, not too far. So there was still, you know, still a little bit of light pollution, but not, not too much. And we just sat out there from, from sunset until a little bit, I don't know, not too late, 10, 1030, and, and just watched all the stars come out. And, and there was just this, there, Whitney, as Whitney put there's you could see layers of of the universe, you know, layers of the galaxies. So, you know, kind of when we're here, everything kind of seems a little bit more flat, but you go out a few miles and, and you can see more of the, the vastness of, of the heavens. And you think about the, the stars that we can see, and if we'd, you know, stayed later, gone someplace a little bit more remote, you could have seen more and more stars and the, the, the vastness of the galaxy. And, and despite how huge the, the universe is, there is no corner of the universe that you could go to that's not under God's sovereign authority, both as creator and sustainer. He has absolute authority over that universe. In other words, there is, there's no point in the universe to which you can travel and something happen to you that's outside of God's control. All that happens to you happens to you within God's universe that he exercises authority over, absolute authority over. God is sovereign over creation. God's sovereignty, as they pray, notice the second thing they talk about God's sovereignty being demonstrated in. God's sovereignty is demonstrated over human history. Because God is sovereign over human history, he can declare the end from the beginning. That's why prophecy is possible. So notice as they pray, they affirm that God spoke words through David, through the Holy Spirit, David his servant, and they quote Psalm chapter 2, verses 1 and 2. Now, let me just read Psalm 2, 1 through 4, so I'll give you a little bit more context of what they're, they're quoting in their prayer. In, in this passage, Psalm 2, David is showing how the people of the earth have a plan to reject God's authority. Listen to what he writes. Why do the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, and this, this is not quoted by the, the people praying in Acts chapter 4, but this is part of the context, 
Verse 3, let us burst their bonds apart and cast away their cords from us. He who sits in the heavens laughs. The Lord holds them in derision. And the Jews had talked about how these verses applied to the Messiah even before the arrival of Jesus. So verse 25 here in Acts chapter 4, look, look at the first part of, Acts, of, of Psalm 2 that they quote. Why did the Gentiles rage? Why did the peoples plot in vain? They're, they're asking why do people resist God's authority? The Gentiles refer to the Romans and their authority who had led to the crucifixion of Jesus. The peoples refer to the Jewish rulers. And it says, first of all, why do the, why do the Gentiles rage? And that, that word rage means a, a refusal to demonstrate submission. It, it could refer to animals who weren't under control like a, like a snorting horse at, at, at the beginning of a race. Those of you who are adults, maybe you remember your, your teenage years and just that, that feeling of, of sometimes just feeling that the constraint of parental authority and, and just feeling like, oh, this, this, this can't continue. Like, I'm, I'm ready, to, ready to, to, to stretch my wings and kind of be my own person. Let's move the, remove this authority from me. There's, there's a, a, a chafing of that authority. And then he says, why do the people's plot in vain? And it's not clear if they're talking about the things that they plotted were vain themselves or the, the plotting itself was vain because it wouldn't be effective. But essentially, it's the same thing. The, the idea that you can oppose God is, is pointless. To decide to exercise authority over God will always fail. And then look at verse 26 of Acts chapter 4. Continue to quote Psalm chapter 2, now verse 2. It says, the kings of the earth set themselves. That means they, they take a stand. So all the nations, the, the kings, the rulers, they, they decide to re, be rebellious. It's not that they find themselves in the wrong place at the wrong time. They, they make a decision, okay, I'm, I'm going to stand against God. In my mind, I kind of picture a toddler, right? Sometimes whenever our kids were younger, they would make that decision. They would say, okay, I'm, 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 I'm no longer going to do what you have told me to do. I'm, I'm deciding to resist your authority. And, and unfortunately, it would always be like at your in-law's house or in a grocery store or someplace. It was very inconvenient. Okay, I'm no longer under your authority. I'm going to, to make this, this stand. And this little tiny, tiny human being decides to defy your awesome authority. It says, they, 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 decided to do this. They, they, they set themselves in, and, and the rulers are gathered together. They're unified concerning their desire to be in opposition to God. They want to oppose the Lord. They want to oppose the Messiah, God's anointed. God is sovereign over human history, and, and, and what we see is a determined opposition to God. Now, I want to move on here in just a second, but I think the main point from this passage to be gleaned is about prayer, but there's another obvious takeaway point, right? That the rebellion against God's plan is, is futile. And a lot of our, our struggle in life, I, I think, comes from our desire to stand in opposition to what God's sovereign plan is. One time, Whitney and Hannah and I were in another country. We were kind of traveling late at night down a mountain, and at one point, Whitney's in a, a pickup truck, and I'm not in the, the same place in the pickup truck that she is. She's in the cab. I'm, I'm in the back. And at one point, our, our daughter, Hannah, got onto a, a four-wheeler and began traveling down 
is late at night, traveling on, she didn't have a lot of experience on a four-wheeler. She's on a four-wheeler traveling down a mountain path at night, and, and Whitney is in the cab, and, and she's quite concerned about the, the safety of, of our daughter. And one of our, our friends who was there on the trip said, you know, um, it kind of shared with her a, a counseling principle that I think many of you have heard before. He said, you know, there's a, there's a circle of responsibility and, and a circle of concern that we have. And our circle of responsibility is a little smaller. It's, it's the things that we're in charge of, the things that God has told us to do and to be concerned with. And, and we need to make sure that we're obedient to those things that are part of that, that circle of responsibility. But there's a, a larger circle, and it's, it's our circle of concern. And those are things that, that concern us, we're worried about, we're, we want to make sure they, they happen a certain way. But we recognize, okay, I, I don't have power over that. And God... God hasn't given me authority in that realm. God hasn't given me the ability to affect those things. And so all I can really be concerned with is those things in my, my circle of responsibility, not those things, not everything that's in my circle of concern. There are a lot of things in my circle of concern that I simply have to trust and trust to God. A lot of times our children have to entrust those to God, which was a really good thing for him to share with Whitney because Whitney, for Hannah being on the, on that four-wheeler driving it down, that was my circle of responsibility, and I had put her on that. So I was glad that um, he shared that with, and kind of made that situation better by the time I was, uh, as part of my circle of concern and responsibility. But a lot of times our, our rebellion, our frustration, come from, from, from striving against those things that are in that, that circle of concern. And you know who is in charge of that circle of concern? It's God. He's sovereign over those things. The third thing we see here, God's sovereignty expressed, is God's sovereignty over even Christ's death. These verses are perhaps the, the most important verses for us to reckon with if we're going to try to, to grapple with the, the full scope of God's authority. Look what happens in verse 27. They, they apply, as they pray, they, they apply Psalm 2 to their current situation. For truly, verse 27, in this city there were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel. The, the people who rage against God and his authority exercised that, that rebellion by crucifying Christ. They, they did something evil. But now, catch this, and this is, this is so important to see in verse 28. They did something. It says they, 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 were re, you, they were taking a stand against God as anointed to do something. That, that, that thing they decided to do was evil and wicked, and they were culpable for it. But look what the last part of the verse says. It was whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. In other words, the, the most evil act of all of human history had been planned and predestined by God himself. Even this evil was not outside of God's control. Now, does that mean God is the agent of evil? Does he do evil? No. But does he assert his sovereignty over even evil? And no evil deed is done apart from his sovereign will. In other words, people can transgress God's commanded will, and yet they still accomplish his decreed will. The word plan here is used throughout the book of Acts. In verse 23 of chapter 2, Peter had said, Jesus was delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. In Acts chapter 20, 
Peter, uh, excuse me, Paul talks about how he declared the whole counsel, the whole plan of God from Scripture. The word predestination here that's used doesn't mean that God just kind of knows what's going to happen. No, that word means to be decided beforehand, to be, to be pre-planned. It's the same word we see in Acts chapter, or excuse me, Romans chapter 8. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And it's used again in verse 30. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. God's predestination means that God decides beforehand what is going to take place. That's an expression of God's sovereignty. Now, this gives us hope. God is sovereign over creation. He's sovereign over human history. He's sovereign over even the death of Christ. And and so, he has the power and the ability to answer prayer. A missionary once shared at a worship conference an experience that some of you have, have had. This missionary was talking about how he had traveled to an orphanage, and this orphanage had been just full of of, of babies, over a hundred babies. Some of you have been in an orphanage like this. He said as he as he walked into the orphanage, it was it was eerie how how quiet it was. You'd think if you had a hundred babies, you'd hear a lot of crying and 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 uh, just just fussing, but but there was nothing. And he said the, the reason, and many of you, again, know this from experience, that the reason that the babies had stopped crying is because they had learned that their cryings, their, their tears, their, their weeping accomplished nothing. They could cry and cry and cry, and no one would be able to come and help. The, the people who were staffing this orphanage, it was just a few people trying to care for the needs of, of 100 babies, and the, the babies eventually realized, my, my cries aren't effective because the people who are in charge of me either aren't good or aren't powerful enough to be able to help me. What do we see about God? We know that God is good and we know that God is powerful. He has the ability to accomplish what he desires to accomplish and he desires are good. That brings us to the content of our prayers here in verse 29 and 30. Listen to what they pray next. And now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness while you stretch out your hand to heal and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. And so there's just kind of two areas of request. They say, first of all, look at the threats. There's this, this hope that God would look at the unrighteousness and deal with it. So look upon their threats. Be aware of what's happening as we know that you are. And then here's the prayer. Now, if, if you're in a situation where you had just been warned that if you speak anymore in the name of Jesus, your life would become very, very difficult, what would your prayer be? It might be, Lord, deal with these leaders, deal with the wicked, give me relief. And there are passages in scripture where we see those types of prayers prayed. But here, the church says, look, our our primary focus is not that you deal with the external situations, but you deal with us, that you allow us to continue to be bold. In this circumstance which your sovereign hand has placed us, because you're sovereign, we recognize this is where you desire us to be, and now within the context of where we find ourselves, give us the boldness to be obedient to you. 
to continue to be witnesses. Now, there's a, another implicit request here. They say, as we are obedient through our boldness, you continue to do your unstoppable work of establishing and building your kingdom through the name of Jesus, the Messiah. And there's this beautiful tension. You, you do your work, God, which includes, in, which includes not just doing these things, but enabling us to do our work. In other words, there's, there's nothing that we can look at and say, I've done it. And this, I think, is why prayer is so crucial. As we pray for God to accomplish his purposes in our lives, it means that God is going to continue to get the glory as we're obedient to him. Paul, in Ephesians, would say, pray for me. Pray that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel. That's, that's Paul, the most effective evangelist of all time, asking for that prayer. In Colossians chapter 4, he would say, Pray also for us that God may open us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ on account of which I am in prison. Paul needs that prayer, and so do you, and so do I. Why are we sometimes unable to accomplish the things that God desires for us? Why do we not see the lost in our lives coming to place their faith in Christ to the degree to which we desire to see that? Why do we not see the, the outgrowth in evangelism that we would desire to see? Why do we not see growth in our own lives and holiness? Why do we not see our children sometimes passionate for God's glory? Perhaps part of the reason, and God is sovereign in all of these situations, and so we, we, don't, we, we trust in his work, but, but perhaps we're, we're lax in our prayers for the things that God desires. Boldness and evangelism should be part of our, our daily prayer life. And if we're lax in praying for God's boldness and evangelism, perhaps the reason we're not seeing effective evangelism in our life, perhaps, sadly, the reason some of us are not that, that 5% that share the gospel less than, than once a month with someone, perhaps... Perhaps God in his sovereignty is, is withholding that blessing to, to, to compel us to continue that, that walk of obedience through, through prayer. Here, here's a challenge I would have for you this month. I'd ask you to join me in this. Just even, even this morning, just, just think of two or three names of people who are in your life who either you know are not believers or you would desire to have a gospel conversation with them. And I would just encourage you, jo join me. I'm, I'm going to be doing this, take, taking, those, taking those names and, and praying. Let, let's, let's start easy. We'll start with a low bar and continue to, 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 to grow in this. But over the next 30 days, if you would just join me in, in praying that God would give you the boldness in having conversations with those two or three people. Let's say three. Let's be a little aggressive. Be three people that God would give you the, the boldness to share the gospel with, with those people over the next 30 days, right? And pray daily for that. Please please join me in, in doing that and then continue to make it part of our, 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 our daily prayers as, as God's people. Finally here, we see the consequence of our prayers, the consequence of our prayers. Verse 31 says they had prayed. The place in which they were gathered together was shaken. They were filled with the Holy Spirit and continued. What happens? 
God accomplishes what they pray. Could they continue to speak the word of God with boldness? The prayer is answered. What can we expect to happen when we pray? According to God's will, we can expect God to answer. The gap is real. God has, has called home many saints. I think of our older saints who are very disciplined in this, in this area. And, and as you look at surveys, the, the younger we are, the less faithful we are sometimes in our, our prayer life. Brothers and sisters, let's, let's fill the gaps that are being created by our older saints going to be with Jesus. Let's be faithful and, and disciplined in our prayers. Let's be faithful to pray that God would give us boldness because the prayer that God would grant us boldness is good and it is powerful and it is effective because God is sovereign. Let's pray. And Father, we do just this morning, we, we do pray this prayer for boldness. We recognize this morning that, that you are sovereign, God. You are the sovereign creator of every, every place in this universe. There's no place that we could go that is outside of your control. And we recognize wherever we are is because you have placed us there. We recognize your sovereignty over human history. We recognize that every human being who comes into this world and every human being who places their faith in your son, Jesus Christ, is, does so as a result of, of your sovereign hand. We recognize that salvation is from your sovereign hand and your, your sovereign grace. And we recognize that, that you are sovereign over all the things that could happen to us. And so we, we pray that you would help us to be bold. We pray that you would help us to be bold in sharing the, the good news of your son, Jesus Christ, with those who are around us. And, and Father, if there are people in our life who do not know the Lord Jesus Christ, please do not let it be because we have been cowardly in our gospel proclamation. We pray that you, by your grace, would use us as your means. You use us as, as instruments of proclaiming the good news of Jesus Christ. We would boldly talk about the reality of sin and the, the beauty of your son Jesus and the preciousness of faith in him. And then we pray that you would do your work, that you would miraculously work within the hearts of the people whom we know, whom we love, who do not know your son Jesus, that you would do your work in their hearts to draw them to yourself. We trust you to do so. And we pray this in the name of your son Jesus. Amen.